0: Whenever we bring on somebody new, I, I tell them, listen, I want to understand why you're here. Because um, we're all trying time for dollars, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I get that you need a job and you need a paycheck, but really why here? Um, and then what is the what is your why in life? What you What is going to make you feel relevant? And then if this can become that vessel to help you accomplish that, then this is where you need to be. But if it's not, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to be the first person to help you get to where it is you need to go. Cool. Um, so don't ever feel like you can't come tell me that. Because here's the reality. As long as you're here, you're not renting my brand. I'm renting yours. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of organizations fail, especially the bigger they get. The bigger they get, they think, oh, when you come to work for me, you're renting my brand. No. No matter what we do from an artificial intelligence perspective or technology, you know, comes into play, this is still a human business. Mm-hmm. And people do business with humans. And so whenever I have a human operating within my firm, um, I am effectively renting their brand yeah
1: welcome to the self-funded with spencer podcast Healthcare is broken and we aim to fix it one conversation at a time so i think we're rolling right i assume we're ready to go all right well seth denson how are you man good to see you (laughs) good
0: to see you buddy good to be back literally great i feel like really honored to get to be back like i didn't screw up so bad on the first round
1: well, you are one of a very select group of people that have gotten to sit down a second time. Well, thank you. So you. I appreciate I, you. I'm honored. I that. had to invite you to the new space, man. I really wanted, I kind of want to secretly show off to Seth Denson the space that we're showing
0: you shooting. Yeah, you sh- you, you, it's worth showing off. Yeah. This is great. I walked in, I was like, man, this is this is exactly what you would want this space to be. Yeah. Now, right? if
1: I only had like a million dollars, I'd build it myself. It's coming, I'm yeah, sure. It's coming. It's coming. But hey, man, I appreciate you coming back. I thought, let's catch up. You know, yeah. obviously wanted to get you on the couch, the, the orange couch, hopefully I know, to make right? this like the infamous orange couch at some point. <laughs> um, but just sit you down, man. And we really, we had a great conversation last time, but last time was Captives, right? right. We really talked Very about GD. Specific. Very topic specific. That was when I was still sort of landing on this idea of self-funding, and I really wanted to hone in on the technicalities of self-funding. But now I'm, I'm branching out a little bit more in the healthcare space. Uh, With you, though, in particular, I would love to talk uh, two main subjects. So entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship. You're a fantastic person to, to have that conversation with, as well as kind of social media and media strategy, which you've really leveraged to build your personal brand, your, your GDP advisor brand, all those things. Yeah. Uh, but before they do that, why don't we just at least reference who you are? I don't expect people to go back and watch episode nine with Seth Denson, but <laughs> if you do, you can hear his, his own profile. But why don't you just really briefly Oh man! Your, your well, story. listen,
0: my, my, my favorite title is that of dad. For sure, um, and 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 I say that's a neck and neck title to husband of Jenna, and you've you've met Jenna, and Great. you know anybody yeah. that meets Jenna recognizes how good at sales I really am. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know I love that new Walker Hayes song, right? Uh, I got to keep my daughters off the pole, my son out of jail, go to church so I don't go to hell, yeah. and try to keep my wife from figuring out that I married up and she married down. Oh, no.
1: uh, I don't know yeah. that song, okay. but well, I go, like go it, listen to uh, it, it l- literally literally like the it, first I time it, I heard it, it I went. Wow. Yeah, that, that's it.
0: Right. <laughs> You're like that guy um, wrote the song
1: for me. Yeah. I know.
0: So, uh, I, I, weigh, as we say out in West Texas, I weigh out pun in my coverage and, uh, she is fantastic. So being dad to Emerson, Arabella and Connor, and then being husband to Jenna, that is what I live for every day. Um, you know, and fortunately we're in an industry and in a vocation that allows me to, uh, really maximize what is the great equalizer of all, which is time Mm -hmm. uh, that I can spend with them and and freedom to do that. And um, so, yeah, so co-founder, chief strategist at GDP Advisors based in Dallas, but really with clients all over the country. Um, And my business partner, John, and I launched the firm in 2013. That was after I'd launched JDS Benefits in 2011. And we merged and, and formed GDP and, and just having a lot of fun. We've got a great organization, fantastic culture, good group of uh, professionals dedicated. Our, our motto is is that we're driven to make people's lives better and whatever that looks like. Uh, and, and we've got a great group that's dedicated to do that. So, you know, I'm driven by my faith and uh, and just get to love every bit of life that I'm living right now.
1: Yeah. Well, dude, you, you're doing an awesome job at living, man, I mean, it's, especially somebody that—, that Cares about you a lot, man. You're a good friend of mine. Um, it's it's really great to see your success, and I mean, you really I mean that mean that sincerely. Likewise, and I'd like to talk about that story, right? If you don't yeah. mind, I mean, I really I, I've had quite a few folks that are entrepreneurs on the show, yourself included, and I really gravitate towards that story. I think it's growing up with a father who's an entrepreneur yeah. himself, but also just I love the success of the guy or gal that decides I'm going to go out on on my own and I'm going to do it my way. Right. right? Maybe like your story where you talk about kind of being stuck in an organization, not stuck, but you had this. Uh, I think you called it a Jerry Maguire moment, yes. where you had your manifesto and you're like, "This is what I think we should do," and all of a sudden you thought it was going to go out with a bang, and it kind of went went the other direction. Wah, 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 wah. Wah. And so that started you though, like it, <laughs> it almost did. it propelled you on that journey. So why don't you share a little bit of that story? with Yeah, folks you know, listen, this I, podcast I, is brought to you by True Captive Insurance, a premier medical stop loss captive for employer groups ranging from 25 to 1,000 employees. TrueCaptive believes in healthcare that is personal and insurance that isn't complicated. That's why they take a white-glove approach, making it easy for employer groups to transition into a program built specifically for them. Check them out at TrueCaptive.com. This podcast is sponsored by PlanSight. PlanSight is a technology for employee benefits brokers to more efficiently manage their RFP process for any group size, all funding types, and over 20 benefit lines and point solutions. PlanSight is the only end-to-end RFP technology on the market today. Let's modernize your RFP process together. Check us out at plansite.com. You
0: know, listen, I I will tell you that I did not enter into my vocational career with the idea that I ever wanted to be an entrepreneur or an innovator. It was, hey, I really want to find some really talented people that I can learn from, that I can ride their coattails. That I can pad a 401k and create a comfortable life, uh, play as much golf as humanly possible, and um, you know, and and enjoy that life that that this industry affords. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did; I, I was doing just that for about ten years of my career. And you know, Spencer, I know that you know this, but many don't. Uh, you know, I'm a college dropout, so uh, I was supposed to play baseball in college, and I was a biblical theology major. So I was specifically looking at. Colleges that that did those two things that had baseball programs and biblical theology, yeah. which limited. Yeah, I was to say that's options. probably
1: a niche market, right? It is, it yeah.
0: is, and and I knew I wasn't good enough to play beyond college, but I could play in college, and so I was recruited by a number of universities to go play. Um, and but you know, my father, you, you talk about your dad being an entrepreneur. My dad was a pastor of a church, and uh, I would say he still is a pastor. They, they that never changes. Yeah. Um, but I, I jokingly say he sold eternal insurance, so you know, I knew <laughs> the language, but um you know, he, he actually came to me my senior years. I was, I was raking my brain, racking my brain over where to go and, and really kind of sat me down and said, why do you feel led that you're supposed to do that? And I, I didn't have a good answer to that. And he said, well, then don't, yeah, (laughs) don't, don't, don't pursue that because you think that that's something I want you to do or anybody else, because you should be felt called to do that. So for me, it was like, okay, there's a reset button now. And, and, and I got into the financial services industry in large part because I kind of fell into it because I had a guidance counselor in college that said, uh, you know, what do you want to do? I said I want to play a lot of golf. She said, "What what, what career can allow you the opportunity to do that?" And everything was in the financial financial services sector. So well, the problem, though, is I was uh, kind of rounding out my freshman year of college and going into my sophomore year was recognizing that, man, college is a lot more expensive when you don't have scholarships yeah. to cover it. Yeah. And, you know, uh, forfeiting a baseball scholarship and a, and a biblical theology scholarship, because in that same conversation, I told my dad I didn't want to go into vocational ministry. I also broke the news <laughs> I was done playing baseball, too.
1: Really? What, yeah. what, what motivated I just that? Burn out. Yeah. I was just
0: done. You know, and I, again, I, I You know me well enough to know I've always had a goal in mind, like I've got to be driving towards something. And I knew if I pursued college and baseball or baseball in college, it would not be to get to the next level because I wasn't good enough to do that. Uh, It would help me get through college, but not to pursue something that maybe I was passionate about. So I was done with it. Um, And so what I I, I made a gamble and I said, you know what I'm going to do instead of going to college, uh, because in this business, you don't have to have a degree, Mm -hmm. uh, but you do have to have education. Uh, I'm going to rather than invest dollars in going into debt to get a piece of paper on the wall, I'm going to invest sweat equity and going to work for some of the who I think are the best minds in the business uh, that I can learn from. And I will work for them for as low as I possibly can to get their attention and to get their willingness to let me try. Um, and what so, was
1: that original job, just out of curiosity? So it
0: was, it, was, it was funny. The first one I got offered was at Merrill Lynch. Um, and a, a gentleman in our community who I had great respect for in the financial services sector uh, found out that I got the opportunity to go to Merrill Lynch. And he picked up the phone and called me and said, don't do that. Um, that's a different breed over there. Um, mm-hmm. You're wired a little different. Uh, he said, why don't you come to work for me? Which ultimately he was somebody that I would have wanted to go to work for at okay. some point anyway. Um, but he was not somebody I knew how to approach on that. He approached me. I mean, we sat in the Denny's in Midland, Texas, and he sat down and said, I can pay you $500 a month. And I said, done. Yeah. I'll take it. And I'd done my budget and realized I could live on $425 a month, meaning I had $75 that's a, dollars left over for
1: some That's fun. a narrow margin, but maybe at that age, you're like, woohoo, was, I'm living. It was enough, yeah, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, so uh, I went to work for him, worked for him for a while, learned the business, gravitated actually to the insurance space over there. So we did everything from mutual fund investments to 401ks, to IRAs, to asset management, to insurance. Uh, You name it. And I just kind of started gravitating towards the insurance side. It was something I was really passionate about. Uh, Went to the, uh, you know, got into the, uh, um, the carrier space thereafter. I tried to hang my shingle for a little bit, realized, you know,
1: wasn't happening? Yeah. No,
0: I didn't know what I didn't know. Okay. Um, and 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 certainly didn't have a story to tell that would make anybody want to do business with me. Uh, so I went to work for a national carrier, got really heavily involved in the underwriting side, uh, and then ended up at a firm that I thought would be my home forever.
1: Okay.
0: Um, and uh, went to work again for some people that I still to this day greatly respect. But I had, a pa- I had a vision, you mentioned it, my friends call it my Jerry Maguire moment, um, where I wrote a business plan uh, for how I felt like our industry could be reshaped. Mm-hmm. Um, about 10 years into my career, I had one of those moments where I recalled a conversation that my father had had with me the day that I told him I wasn't going to go into vocational ministry. And it was, you know, son, I don't care whatever you whatever you do, just follow your passion, but do me a favor, never chase money because you'll find you'll never catch mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Find what you're passionate about, chase that, be the, do good things for other people, yep. and the money will chase you.. Yeah. Um, and I had forgotten that because I'd gotten to the point where I really was chasing the money. Okay, and and there was this moment of clarity, and I sat down and reached and this is right when the Affordable Care Act was being passed. so that was it was kind of what sparked my brain flow to say, hey, how could we really fundamentally improve access, quality, um, cost of care? To everyday Americans, uh, and so I wrote a business plan. It later became a book that I wrote. Yeah. Um, but at the time, I I, I I started to present that business plan, and it was it became very obvious that that was not going to be adopted.
1: Well, and um, it's funny. I mean, that's this. So innovation, right? isn't always met with the same, like, open arms as you envision it will be <laughs> yeah. in your head, especially if you're, you're challenging the status quo in which yeah. a business has been built on. That's right. right. So we're all, if you're paid, your paycheck depends on your messaging around uh, a certain thing a certain way, right? Yeah. Well, you're, what are you going to do? You're going to message it that way. So all of a sudden, if you present a new idea that might be sort of juxtaposed versus that, yeah. Like, what are you doing? You know, they're, they're not going to necessarily come to you and say, you know what, Seth, we're going to change our whole business around you. That's right? it, right? Yeah.
0: We're going to take this multi-million dollar yeah. organization yeah. and reshuffle it. Um, and you know, it's interesting that the, the comment that was said to me as I was sharing my plan was, um, do you know how we make money here? <laughs> uh, and I said, yes, I do. Um, but I I would argue that I think we can make just as much, if not more, because we would bring more value. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't, it well, listen, I wasn't met with malice, sure. um, but it was met with, that's not going to work here, right? Um, and 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 that's fine. That organization till this day is doing quite well, and God bless them. But that, I think um, that you
1: know that maybe every entrepreneur needs sometimes that catalyst moment, right? It's it like was. you have yeah. this fork in the road for your career, and you say, well, my passion and my heart lies here. This is my vision for this. If it's not shared. That I got to go my own way. Right. I knew I could never go back. I knew at
0: that yep. point, once, once I'd put pen to paper and I had written it down and I had structured it, I knew there was no way I could never not pursue this in this business. Yeah. And so it's funny. So I, you know, I, 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 that, that day when I presented it and it was apparent that I, it was not going to be adopted, I resigned
1: Oh, really? Uh, well. immediately. Wow.
0: Okay. And um, well, I remember,
1: I respect your conviction. <laughs> well,
0: yeah, yes, I'm calling it conviction. Others call it other things. Yeah. But, you know, it was it was one of those, it was funny because I called, I remember getting in my car um, and the emotions are just swirling, yeah. right? Because you yeah. go in to make the presentation thinking it's going to go one way. It went a very different way. Mm-hmm. And I think in the back of my mind, I, I, I thought it could, but I really hadn't planned for that. Um, and then I certainly didn't plan to say- I guess it's probably time for me to leave. Um, And I remember calling my, looking for any piece that I could find. I called Jenna uh, on the way home and she goes, well, how did it go? And I said, honey, not as I had planned. Yeah. Um, I think we just started a firm. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, again, God gives you what you need when you need it. And he gave me a fantastic wife who said, Good let's do it. Yeah. Cool. Um, and, and we were off to the races and, um, really trying to implement that plan and fast forward. Now that was December the 29th of 2010. Um, so fast forward to today in 2022. And I would like to say that, you know, we are, we have, Executed at a higher level on that plan than I ever thought we would. Yeah. It has taken uh, our business to an the the highest level of what what I thought we could do. We're now part of an even bigger organization in Acreshire. Uh We became part of AcreSure in 2019. Uh, who saw that same plan and had it and had a different s- subset, and they went, "That's exactly what we need to do." Cool. Um, and and so you know, today it's. It's, it's been great, but man, those lessons along the way, yeah. I got to tell you.
1: Um, well, those you you wrote about some of those lessons recently. Uh, you were uh, you were gracious enough to share with a kind of a pre-publication, yeah. of an article. I think you did say you presented it at, at Benefits Pro last week. I did, so, okay, so I got okay. the
0: opportunity to give the closing keynote at the Benefits Pro conference. Yeah, uh, and uh, it was really the kind of the that was the 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 speech, if you want to yeah. say that I gave was, and and I did it based on this. So you know, growing up as a kid, I uh, my dad would always take us to go. Camping. It was our last trip of the summer before we would go back to school, and there's three boys in my family, four including dad, Uh, and uh, you know where we would go camping was a couple hours away from where we lived in West Texas, and so my dad would always, you know, he, he would tell us he. He would pick along the way who got to build the campfire. Now that was the coolest job in the world, right? When you mm. get to the campsite, because a you didn't have to unload the truck, set up the tent, do all that, but you also got to play with matches yeah. and fuel and fire, and um, it was really a cool experience. Well, I remember the time, and I, it was probably my first time that I got to be my turn. Dad turned around, and it was just brilliant, right? Because he wouldn't say whose turn it was until you were almost there, and it yeah. was kind of who kept quiet and was a good, Oh, that's you know, brilliant, yeah, brilliant dad, great, dad, right, right there. Yeah, 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 well, yeah, well done, Rick. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we, we're pulling in. This is our my first time and i remember my dad turned around and said all right seth you're up it's campfire duty did
1: your heart flutter a little bit
0: (laughs) (laughs) so i jump out of the truck and i throw caution to the wind i go find as much firewood as i can i'm probably hurling some you know some slander at my brothers who were having to set up you know the camp and uh i i I literally forgot everything i'd ever known about building a campfire everything my father had taught us and i threw caution to the wind Threw wood in the pit doused as much fuel on it as I could light a match. And, you know, we all know what happens, Like, right? Yeah. Glue. And I was like, yes, this is beautiful. Um, and then within a couple of minutes, it's gone.
1: Okay. It's yep. gone.
0: Right. Cause you know, the structure isn't there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, interestingly enough, along my entrepreneurial career, I had a lot of those same type of moments. Now I remember, and I can still hear it to this day, my father from across the campsite when I did that leaning forward and saying, Hey, did you build it right? Yeah. Um, and 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 you know about six years into my entrepreneurial career, there are a lot of those what we will call big fuel moments where you you pour fuel, you you make some movement, you're moving the needle, but that fire's burning out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I sat down in 2016 and restructured a lot of my life and recognized that there were lessons to be learned in these. Moments of burnout, but I was burning matches and I needed to build an inferno. And then, if I would learn from those lessons, I could take what we were doing to a new level. Um, And there were a lot of those lessons along the way, and they're all valuable lessons. Um, And when you understand that those are all lessons, now they're all pieces of that fire that if you build it right and you build upon them, the great thing about a fire that's built right, you don't have to add fuel, it sustains itself, it can grow and it's it's efficient and effective and i think entrepreneurially our careers can be the same way as long as we recognize those lessons that are out there and learn from them
1: yeah and as you actually what you're saying kind of echoes uh, something i heard from do you know mark Combs self-insured reporting yeah, yeah absolutely yeah mark was here okay. probably about four or five weeks ago and he talked about his early stages of being an entrepreneur as well. And he, he kind of has a similar background to you. He, he was a producer, successfully helped grow an agency that rolled up into another agency, had his pivotal moment or seminal moment that's like, I don't think this is the right fit for me, and went off on his own and started building. And he said that was the moment with everything stopped working for yeah. me. It's like the point I decided to go out on my own, everything I knew, my whole track record <laughs> of success was out the window and now it, it stopped. But his point was is that, he's like, I think every entrepreneur needs that, you need a couple those failures. You need to struggle. So maybe yeah. your lesson in building that fire, but not building the infrastructure of the fire properly, That's a, there's a lesson inherent in yeah. that. And so you've learned from that lesson the next time you go build it, you build it in a sustainable way. But his point was, I think every entrepreneur needs to kind of fall flat a couple of times, Absolutely. whether it's humbling you or it's just teaching you at the same time. Well, the
0: reality is you learn, I, I, I've always learned more from the, the times when I tried and failed than I tried and got it and won. Mm-hmm. Right, And um, I think every good entrepreneur is wired to hate losing more than loving winning yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, for me, it was recognizing there's a lot of lessons. I write them about them in that article. I spoke about them at benefits pro, but one of the key ones is, is that there's no textbooks or manual to this, right? If you're really innovating, right. -hmm. That Mm -hmm. means you're doing something that somebody else isn't doing. There's probably not a manual or textbook you can go do. Um, and my not going to college, right. Meant that I had to work that much harder to work through problems and think through them. I didn't, I didn't have that institutional knowledge that I could rely on. And so, there's times as an entrepreneur, you're both the smartest and the dumbest person mm-hmm. in the room mm-hmm. at the same time, right. right? Right, And so recognizing that, but recognize there's value in that because it, it's in those moments that you realize I have to work through this. I have to think through how this is going to mm-hmm. play out. Um, and that can be really powerful from a knowledge perspective because you get to write the manual. Life will be your lesson. Uh, and, and, you know, the other thing I say is that is you know, perfection is a goal. It's not a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think so many times early on when I was launching into my innovative entrepreneurial career, it was, well, it's just not ready. It's not ready. It's not, at some point you just got to fly the plane yeah. and finish building it in the air yeah. because it never will be. Um, and so those lessons, those types of things, they all kind of can come together and, and it gives you peace. And then what I tell people all the time is consistency, consistent, you know, in in, a, in an entrepreneurial world, uh, time can be your friend and your enemy, right? right. And the distractions are twi- twofold, as if you're an, just an employee somewhere, or just doing your daily job. So you've got to create those consistencies because that can be that comforting thing for you, now, you know. So for me, and you know, I get up early every morning. I'm yeah. up between four and four thirty every morning. Uh, I have a routine that I go through every morning. I exercise around the same time every day. I eat lunch at the same time. I almost eat the same lunch every day. Um, I try to go to bed at the same time. I do the certain things. If you could put wash, rinse, and repeat on my life, there is nothing that gives me more peace than that. Um, But all of these things are great lessons that you can learn.
1: Well, so I have this suspicion, and I want to bounce it off you, that entrepreneurs almost need to be a little bit naive in how difficult the adventure is that they're about to undertake. Because if you knew truly how difficult it was and how many trials and tribulations and failures you might not take the first step. So yeah. th- that is my suspicion having interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs and I've seen it play out firsthand. Did, would you think that's at least close, uh, you know, on the mark, or, or did you always know that you could do it? Right. Did you always know that it was going to be hard, but that you could do it going into it? I mean,
0: it? I think that in the back of my mind, you knew that there was always a way to get it done. Okay. Uh, and you felt like you were probably the right person for the job, but there are certainly, uh, there are those moments when doubt would creep in. Yeah. Um, and failure is imminent. It, it is absolutely imminent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, the, the, the key to making mistakes is learn to, I, I say this all the time, you got to eat crow fast. Okay. Um, you're going to eat it either way, <laughs> right? Um, and hot crow goes down a lot better than cold crow does. Uh, and it, it it sucks. It tastes terrible regardless. But your ability to to recognize the mistake, to own it, and by the way, when you're the entrepreneur – I don't care how many passengers in the bus there are, you're driving it. So the the, the mistake is yours to be made uh, and to be owned and to be dealt with. So eat that crow fast, learn from it as quickly as possible, do everything in your power to not to make the same mistake twice, right? Um, But at the same time, you know, as I can't remember if it was Sammy Sosa that said, somebody said, uh, you know, you, you never steal second with your foot on first. Yeah. You're going to have to make mistakes. You're going to have to swing at the pitch. Um, and then you, then you have wins. And that's the other thing is you've got two, two key things, I think. One is find a way to have early success. Success breeds success. Success has babies. <laughs> and <laughs> when you can when you can have a success, no matter how minute or small you might think it is in the grand scheme of what you're trying to do. Man, big things can happen from that cuz that's going to replicate. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, and this is really hard for a lot of entrepreneurs, it certainly was hard for me. But once I recognized it, it made all the difference. There's an old saying, right? Don't miss the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, don't miss the tree for the forest. Okay. Look for those little things that you can do that are going to help get you where you need to go. Don't worry about the force. Don't worry about the end goal. Don't worry about the destination. Worry about the next step towards it. Find that as your success point. Be successful at it, and then you're taking one closer step to solving for the forest because you solve for that
1: tree. Solve for the tree you know i like that the idea of a little win it's i mean there's what that mindset of get one percent better every day or you know there's variables you control like maybe you're trying to lose 20 pounds at the gym well yep. the first thing i'm gonna do is maybe try to calculate the amount of calories i need and get myself in a caloric deficit or i'm gonna you, know, you pick the little things that you can do that in aggregate add up to right. helping you achieve that goal which i think is a, a great point you can't solve that big problem you're trying to solve overnight. Uh, I think, I think Dr. Bricker way back when he's on the podcast says you can't boil the ocean, right? So you have to, (laughs) you have to, you have to do it in pockets first. Um, now I suspect though, we, we kind of talked about the early stages, right? Obviously, clearly we fast forwarded 12 years and you're clearly successful and probably beyond even maybe what you envisioned you you might be, but do the problems just become bigger in scale? Do they become different now that things are going well? Like what is, you know, sort of benchmark me versus the early days and now and what you're doing?
0: Well, the value of the problems that you have now is you're not always the smartest person in the room. And sometimes you're not always the dumbest either. Um, you know, now I've got a big staff. Okay. So I've got resources. I've got, uh, co-collaborators, uh, Mm -hmm. with me. I think I may have just made up a word, but we'll go with it. it. Um, you know, there's people that you can, you can have alongside you. Uh, and While the problems may be bigger, your resources to solve them are also bigger. Uh, And so that's a powerful thing. What you've got to become better at, I think, as your organizations continue to grow, is recognize that the level of growth that you had in an early stage is probably not in the same – like, again, when I had one client doubling by – 50% 50% was not hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you have 100 clients, it's a little tougher. Or sure. 200 or 500 or 1,000.
1: Yeah, that's what you always right? see early stage companies. Like, we've experienced 1,000% growth. That's right. Yeah, because we you went one from one to 10 clients. That's yeah, 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 yeah. Good job, yeah.
0: So, you know, so doing those types of things is, is obviously bigger. And and then you you have to, it's very difficult once your, your organization gets to a certain size that you can be an owner-operator. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be an owner. that's hard because you got to start letting go of things. You have to start saying, Hey, but I remember somebody had told me early on when I started my firm, uh, that the day that I knew that I was, I had made it and it was successful was the day that I started hiring people that were so much better at me Mm -hmm. at what I did really well. Mm. Um, and, and I'm, love the fact that I've, we're there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've got a staff of people that run circles around me at the thing that I used to think I was better at than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that's a really powerful thing. So what it allows you to do and what entrepreneurs need to do is recognize that your phase of your entrepreneurial career will go, there are phases. There is almost like, you know, in life you have toddler phase and you have adolescence and you have puberty and then you have adult, you know, maybe pre-adulthood yeah, and then yeah, adulthood. Yeah. Um, business is the same way. Right. There are in that toddler phase, you're just trying to learn to crawl mm-hmm. uh, and then you walk and then you run and then you fall mm-hmm. and then you have to get back up and you have to learn the lesson of getting back up and then you have to, okay, maturity. And then you have to start thinking about sunset.
1: Yeah. Right. When your knees start aching a little That's bit. It. Yeah. And all you know, that stuff, it's, yeah. it's
0: interesting to think and listen, I think I've got 20 years left in my tank. Um... I I know that the day I stop is the day I die because I'm just not wired to not do this. But I also recognize that it is time to start passing the mantle, that there are people that and there are leaders that need to start taking that vision and making it their own and creating a bigger, broader aspect of that. Um, And then from the organization, I tell my staff this all the time, and I still do orientations for our team, um, is that whenever we bring on somebody new, I I tell them, listen, I want to understand why you're here. Because um, we're all trying time for dollars, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I get that you need a job and you need a paycheck, but really why here? Um, and then what is the what is your why in life? What, you, what is going to make you feel relevant? And then if this can become that vessel to help you accomplish that, then this is where you need to be. But if it's not, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to be the first person to help you get to where it is you need to go. Cool. Um, so don't ever feel like you can't come tell me that. Because here's the reality. As long as you're here, you're not renting my brand. I'm renting yours. And I think that's where a lot of organizations fail, especially the bigger they get. The bigger they get, they think, oh, when you come to work for me, you're renting my brand. No. No matter what we do from an artificial intelligence perspective or technology, you know, comes into play, this is still a human business. Mm -hmm. And people do business with humans. And so whenever I have a human operating within my firm, um, I am effectively renting their brand yeah. as my representative.
1: When I'm starting to see our industry come around to that notion, I shared with you offline, I won't share who, but I had an agency approach uh, me about doing some some of this for their producers, really to help build them out kind of their own kind of profile, their own sure. persona, that way that people could uh, get to know them, right, as they're trying to build their block and things like that. This inversion of thinking, that mindset of like, oh, we're, even though we're this big firm, we're winning, renting the brand of Tom or right. Jessica or whatever the case may be. I know Andy talked a lot about that as well, really emphasizing that it's the human being is the person that you're doing business with, not That's necessarily it. the logo. Yeah. Yeah. And so I appreciate you bringing that up. And I think that I mentioned there's going to be two subjects today that I really wanted to hammer. The second is kind of your media and social yeah. strategy. Before we wrap the entrepreneurship segment up, advice for young entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. like the guy or gal that's out there thinking they may want to do this on their own, or they're about to take that step, or they did take that step. And now they're kind of just trying to keep their head above water. What would you advise somebody that's 10, 15 years behind you when you started things, a lessons you've learned or pieces of advice?
0: Yeah. A couple of, a couple of key things, um, is one, there's never a right time for it. There's just not, mm-hmm. there's always going to be a reason not to do it. Okay. Um, but the longer you wait to do it, uh, the more that those reasons become much more complex, right? So I was really fortunate that when it came time to to, to, to start my journey, Jen and I didn't have kids that would have changed the entire dynamic that day Mm. when I said it's time for me to leave and go start this. Um, so I, I tell people that don't get caught into the trap. Um, and then, you know, the other key thing is, and and I say this all the time is what is going to give you relevance in life? What, what, what is your Oz? Uh, because if you want to get to Oz, you got to build your yellow brick road. what does that look like? Because you have to have a destination in mind, otherwise don't get on the journey. Um, but I say this, I write this in the article. I share this with you that, that, that there are people that have dreams and there are people that execute dreams that other people have. Few people get to do both. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that are entrepreneurs. Um, but you gotta be up for the journey, but man, if you are, it's a fun ride.
1: I was going to say, I told you that when I read that, that call to action, it felt like it was like a, you know, a, an arrow between the <laughs> eyes. I'm like, oh, he got me with that one. It's so really good. Kudos to you. I'm definitely getting a good call to action uh, on the end you. of Appreciate that article. That. Um, so uh, entrepreneurship, let's set that aside, right? Even though yep. I think this still plays in pretty significantly yep. into your role as an entrepreneur, but you have leveraged this idea of media, social media, out, you know, whatever you want to call your outbound ability to speak on camera publicly yeah. and really positioned yourself as an expert in the business world, the finance world, obviously an entrepreneur, but how did that start, man? How did you I go know. about becoming this social media juggernaut in the insurance world? Man?
0: Well, yeah. So, um, thank you for saying and it's true that like, but, you, you know, I haven't seen
1: anybody else that's done it better than you in our space. I
0: appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Well, listen, I think with all things, you, you got to have good strategy. You got to have good work ethic and you got to have a little bit of luck. I'll take the luck all the time I can get or fortune or however, what do you want to call it? Uh, right place, right time, put yourself in the position to be successful. But for me, Um, so I mentioned that burnout time in 2016 and what I realized was I was fighting imposter syndrome. I Mm. didn't realize I was fighting it, but I was, um, and in large part because I didn't go to college. I thought, well who am I to be on the same level as my peers who have the MBA? Um, really, and even
1: with all the success you had, you yeah, were thinking along those lines? Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's still, it's still, it was always there. It was always creeping okay. in, especially if there was a failure moment. It was like, ah. mm, you know, or, you know, again, that, that fear of failure. I always say I was always worried and still am in some ways today that that rug is going to get ripped out at some mm-hmm, point. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, what do I have to fall back on? I don't have that degree. I don't have that knowledge base. I don't have all that. So in 2016, um, when I sat down with John and I said, Hey, something's got to change here. Um, I think I said, I may have shared this already, but, uh, you know, I told him, I was like, man, my half of this is yours for a six pack and a happy meal. I I want out. Uh, fortunately, John's fantastic. He's a great business partner. And he said, well, let's not, let's not go shopping for that happy meal just yet. Uh, let's figure out what, what we need to do to reset Mm -hmm. this. But what I realized was I needed to work on me. I needed, I needed to develop my business acumen because that's what was really missing. Um, and so I made it a goal over the next year to read a business book a month. Um, and so what I would do is I would start two business books a month, recognizing that I would give myself the freedom not to finish one. And, uh, what I found, because sometimes you start reading a book and you go, I hate this. This yeah. is terrible. I don't want to have to finish yeah. this. Um, and business books can, there's plenty of those out there.
1: A lot of them are pretty dry. Yeah. Sometimes. Uh, yeah.
0: so for me, it was, I start to, I had to finish one. Um, and what I ended up doing, I think by the end of the year, I read 30 business books. Yep. I became a sponge for knowledge. Mm. Um, I would get up in the morning and I would read the wall street journal. I would want to understand what are businesses facing? What are my, the people that are looking to me for advice, I don't want to become somebody that they know for insurance. I want to be somebody they go to from a business perspective and say, Hey, what, what can I do better? Um, how can I improve my overall EBITDA? What, what, what are the things that I need to need to do to be more efficient and effective? Well, how can I move the rocks within my organization? So for me, it was really a year's quest that continues today of just being a sponge for knowledge of business. And I started reaching out to people that I thought were really good in business and just want to pick their brain. And what was interesting was out of that, I started you know, putting myself out there and giving speeches. I give speeches to one person attended Rotary clubs on business and what's going on and what I saw in the economy. and And interestingly enough, in twenty seven, I guess it was twenty seven, or beginning of twenty eighteen, I guess it was. Um, J P Morgan, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, and Amazon uh, came together and said they were going to start an, uh, a health insurance company for their employees. I remember that. Yeah. Nobody knew what they were going to be doing. Uh, and I had written a ton of blogs. I had, uh, you know, uh, op-eds. They would all been rejected from everybody. But it was really There's- more for me just writing. Nobody knew who I was, okay. right? Especially outside the industry. But I set out with the idea of I don't want – I don't necessarily care if people within the industry know who I am. They're not doing business with me. I want people outside the industry to know who I am. Mm-hmm. I want people who I want to do business with to go – When they think of healthcare, when they think of business, when they think of risk, when they think of being more efficient, I want them to go, hey, we should talk to that Seth guy. So I started out on that journey. I would write these articles. I would give speeches. I would do anything I could. Well, one of them had gotten picked up by a talent finder for Fox News. Mm. Uh, and so when Amazon and J.P. Morgan and Berkshire Hathaway came up with this uh, you know this idea nobody knew what was going going on they announced it at like 4 o'clock in the middle of an afternoon so I get I, I woke up as I told you religiously early up early I was up at like 4 a.m. that morning afterwards and there was an email from a, you know some guy and I opened the email he said hey I got your information I saw an op-ed that you had written at one point I'd saved it and, and you know it never got published but um, do you have any idea what they might be doing so I wrote him a kind of a five-page dissertation <laughs> of what I thought that they probably were trying to do, right. why it could work, why it probably ultimately wouldn't. Um, but what the interesting w- thing could happen as the market's open today, what would happen with healthcare stocks and things mm-hmm. like that, seeing that these three giants were going to enter the space. Fast forward 10 a.m., market has opened. Everything that I had predicted had come true. Uh, and I get a phone call and it's Fox News. And I loved all your comments and want you on air. Mm. so I
1: went on air that day like same day it's
0: the same day Jeez. yeah um did did a what they call the Fox News rundown gave an overview of what it was um what my thoughts were, were you on
1: how were you mentally prepared do you no. think to do this I, and okay. I didn't no
0: because what happened was that phone call came in I answered the phone and he goes hey you have a minute great you're on with Seth boom we're live oh geez what okay. what, what, what just happened Huh on the phone didn't even think anything like it was almost one. was like what 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 was that um Right after that, Fox had reached out and said, hey, can we call on you again if we have other related ho- topics? And so I was like, yeah, sure. That year, um, the fall- that following year, I did probably 200 segments on Fox. And I was writing talking points for some of the biggest names over at Fox News who you would know.
1: Were they all um, call-in segments or were you doing video segments uh, as
0: well? I started out mostly radio, so okay. mostly Fox radio. I think they, they do that so if you screw up too bad, you're not in front of a million people yeah, when you do it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but then November of that year, so that was in February. By November of that year, I was on air. Uh, and I was a regular on Fox and Friends, and I became a regular on Fox Business. And then, you know, don't worry, people that don't like Fox News, I did a bunch of CNN too, and mm-hmm. I did some of the other networks that may have a different political stance. And I and I tried to, and I, and I always said, hey, listen. I'm going to tell the truth. The truth doesn't change no matter what your political affiliation is. And if you always tell the truth, you don't remember what you say. So let's just speak the truth. Yeah. Uh, and I was equally critical of any side of the political aisle. And it was funny because I'd do a segment and I'd have uh, one half of the political spectrum telling me, oh, you're such a right-wing nut job. And then I'd have the other stuff saying, oh, you're a lefty, you know, granola eating, you know, yeah. blah, 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 yeah. blah. And you're going, I get the same interview, Like, yeah. right? What are yeah. you talking about?
1: Like, yeah. How do you
0: do different? Every- because everybody's in their echo chamber, right? Yeah, for sure. So... What was interesting was when that – the first time, though, that I got asked – and remember, my background was in the financial sector. It wasn't in insurance. Yeah. It was in financial sector. So I had that to glean from. But I, I was on Fox one day. Um, I, was, I think I was on Fox and Friends, actually. And I think I'm going on to talk about the latest rendition of the repeal and replace under the Trump administration. And all of a sudden, he goes, Seth, I'd like to, to talk to you about the, the trade deal we just struck with Mexico. And what you think the impact in the markets are going to be on that. Now, fortunately, again, I get up every morning at four and I read mm-hmm. religiously anything I can get my hands on. So I was well versed on that topic, mm-hmm. thankfully, because you don't know what they're going to ask you. And I certainly didn't have a clue what they were going to ask me here. And I made it through the interview. I'm sure that if you could have seen what was going on inside of my brain, that hamster was running on that wheel 50 right. miles an hour and I'm right. panicking. Yeah. But I stayed calm, cool, at least I think I did. And, of course, I got done. The producer came in my ears, like, hey, that was fantastic. He was like, time out. I was like, hey, man, I thought you guys were using me for healthcare stuff. And he goes, you know, we're done hearing all the Wall Street guys talk about this. You talk in a way that anybody can understand it, and we knew you could handle it. I'm like, thank you. I appreciate that vote of confidence. Next time, hey, give me a give heads, me a heads up. up. Yeah, like at least right. give me five minutes um, to prep. Like, yeah. Fast forward to today, though. I almost never talk about healthcare yeah. on the Isn't that it interesting? It's, yeah. I give, I'm, I'm on every day. I've done two segments today. I'll do another one tonight. I'll be on again tomorrow in the morning and do another one tomorrow afternoon and evening. Um, and I am almost always talking about what happened in business today. Mm-hmm. What's going on in the markets? What's going on globally, domestically? How's it impacting businesses? Inflation, you name it. I'm, I've got a voice in that conversation. Yeah. It's made me a better advisor to my clients because I, I have a bigger grasp of what headwinds they might be facing. Uh, and how to possibly navigate. Well,
1: I've experienced a microcosm of that because, like, everybody kind of early on knew me as the stop loss guy doing the right. stop loss videos, yeah. right? Then you expand in the podcasting realm, and I just expanded topically into self funding, and now it's kind of branched out into more healthcare related. Now it's kind of business and entrepreneurship. Careful, I'm going to have you on Fox soon doing. Oh, uh, 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 give me at day. least ten minutes heads, heads up. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But um, what I was going to say though is like, I'm actually getting people now coming and saying, "Hey, could you teach me how to how you're doing the podcast thing?" Yeah. Like, and all of a sudden, I've i went from the stop loss guy to the self funded guy. Obviously, the software job that I do to get paid to do and I do really well. People know me for that, but that's, you know, it's kind of behind the scenes. I'm not public about so much what doing that. Now people are coming to me and saying, Hey, can you teach me how you're doing this podcast thing? Yeah. It's like all of a sudden you, you start somewhere and, and then you just go on this weird sort of uh, pivot towards other directions, but then people start thinking of you for other reasons as well. And I think obviously you're talking about that evolution yourself.
0: Yeah. And, but you know, and I may have said this in episode nine. So if you're going back, yeah,
1: please refer to episode nine on Spotify Uh, or Apple podcasts. Yeah. uh,
0: I, I live by the belief that preparation leads to knowledge. Knowledge leads to confidence. Confidence leads to enthusiasm and enthusiasm sells. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, confidence and arrogance live right next door to each other so you got to be really careful because you mm-hmm. can end up in the wrong house sometimes um, but if you're if you ever sense that you're being arrogant about something or if someone tells you you're being arrogant about something it's probably because you have a lack of confidence and then you go backwards mm-hmm. and you say well that lack of confidence is because I have a lack of knowledge mm-hmm. and I have that lack of knowledge because I have a lack of preparation right and what you've done with this podcast and kudos to you um, is you prepare. You recognize what it is you're trying to do. You develop your knowledge base around that, and that
1: comes across as confidence. Um, but it's interesting it's, you say that, though, because, like, the, uh, the confidence and arrogance, right? I do think you said it's it's because you're sort of unprepared and maybe you're faking it, but the, the arrogance is is sort of this the ego's uh, – Outward expression of being confident, all fake, being confident by being yeah. arrogant, if you will. Right, and it comes across obviously a little dirty, but also I think it's just because you're insecure. It's that's not, it. ne- yeah, you're not arrogant because you think you're that. better. It's because you're insecure about your ability right. to stand up against toe to toe. And somebody. so, yeah,
0: for for me, it's 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 recognizing those moments and and checking myself. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Listen, I would much rather humble myself than be humbled by someone else. Um, right. So you need to try to do that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on a regular basis, and you overcome that with that preparation. If you're not Time is that great equalizer. If you're not willing to put in the time to prepare, to gain that knowledge, then you will not have confidence. And I totally disagree with the premise of fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. I think that is bad advice. And if you've gotten that advice, forget it as quickly as possible. Make it. How do you make it? Put in the time, get the prepare, get that knowledge. That's going to lead to confidence, which leads to enthusiasm. People want to be part of something enthusiastic. Absolutely. I don't care what role you're in and what organization, whether it is your personal life or your professional life, you are selling Yes, every day, yes. all day. Yep. And the more that you can understand that I if I can be enthusiastic about that, right, um,
1: that's going to come from my confidence and knowing that I know what I'm doing. Um, well, and- I've noticed that three years in, a little, a little over three years in and selling the software at PlanSite. I mean, some days I'll have eight demos, Seth. Literally, it is all day long. So you multiply that times 200 plus days a year, not necessarily doing eight hours a day, but usually between two to four demos on average per day. How many times have I given the same demo, right? (laughs) But the confidence itself that's derived from, I know every nook and cranny of the software. I don't have to think about what comes next. It already is in me. I know what comes next, but I have the ability because I know it so well and I've been doing it for so long that if a question comes up that would have thrown me off guard early on, oh yeah, all of a sudden, I can pivot any direction that I need to go, but that's because of the repetition, the time that's been spent in there, and then the confidence that is derived from doing it so often. That's it. Yeah. And that, it wouldn't have been the same a month in as it is now, you know, 36 months in or whatever yep. and doing it so often, but let's talk about kind of how this has benefited your business, right? Because yeah. I don't know, did you, you didn't necessarily go into it just because you wanted to do that. I think you had that vision, like you said, that this would ultimately benefit what you're doing for GDP advisors. Yeah. Right? I
0: think, you know, we started out and it was actually John that encouraged me to do it, to, it? to get okay. into it. Yeah. Cause, um, you know, I had, I had, always enjoyed giving speeches and, 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 and doing seminars. And we'd always generate a lot of business off of that. Um, and he said, Hey, we need to do more of this. And so we talked to some PR firms along the way, and there's a lot of really bad ones that won a lot of money and did not bring a lot of value. And, um, and so we never could really figure out what that looked like. Um, but there was always this idea of, Hey, we need to elevate your game. Now in the same time, I, I had the idea to write a book, Right, which was that original business plan. Um, so I was I was starting down the path of doing that. I had auditioned for and gotten a TED talk, cool, uh, yep. which was really cool. Uh, one of those things that you don't get paid for, and you will spend more time and invest more energy and grief and pressure than anything else. I imagine, uh, but it paid dividends. And what it did was it did two things. I don't know that. Doing all the media stuff, nobody picks up the phone and calls me and says, hey, I saw you on Fox, I saw you on CNN, I saw you on Newsmax today. I want you to come be my broker or advisor or whatever. Um, What it does, it does two things. One is it it elevates your game of level of knowledge. So, again, that that exudes from you when you go into a Mm -hmm. prospect meeting. Um, But it also quantifies that other people say that I know what I'm doing. Credibility. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing for me to say, hey, come to my seminar. I'm going to give a speech and I'm so awesome. I'm going to want you to buy from me at the end. Take my word for it. Yeah. But it's another thing that when you know, you've got people like Steve Forbes, who is Trump's top economic advisor, Forbes magazine, you know, some of the other people who I've gotten to be on air with who say, well, Seth's the expert at this. Let's let him talk about it. You know, the credibility that comes along with those things, um, is is really powerful Mm -hmm. and, and it gives you a level of confidence to continue. And, and, but it's also gives you a level of, you still got to fight that imposter syndrome, right? Because am I really the expert? I got to try that much harder to make sure I am, I got to stay ahead of this game. Um, and that makes you better if you're continuously innovating and doing that. And so when you get into a perspective presentation, um, it gives that level of confidence to know that you're going to do it well. But there is also a lot of times I've gone into presentations and people have gone,
1: Hey, are you that guy that's on the news? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah,
0: that's me.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. Every once in a while you can get a little pat on your own back, But I mean, it's, 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 I think it's, it's rewarding, right? Because you're putting a lot of effort into this. Some people just see <laughs> yeah. you on the TV and go, oh, Seth gets to do TV all the time. It's like, well, how much work is Seth doing off camera to prepare <laughs> yep. for that five minute segment, right? For I every mean, five minutes, yeah. it's
0: an, a minimum one hour worth of
1: work. There you go, right? So then yeah. you multiply that times multiple times a day, right? Different yep. subject matter. Oh, by the way, you're still running GDP advisors yeah. and all those things. It's like he works hard for it. And I think that's the same thing as you see somebody become an overnight success. And you don't know the 10 years of their backstory where they were an unknown, right. Until they became a success. So talking along those lines though, somebody that wants to start, you know, not everybody's going to be at the point, right. And prepared to have an opportunity to go on Fox news, but somebody that says, I want to make content or I want to write, or I want to speak. I mean, how do you get started doing things like this?
0: You know, listen, I, I, I tell people all the time, start, start small, right. Aim small, miss small. So just, you know, if you've got a website or if you've got a, LinkedIn page, or you, if you don't, maybe you start there. Yeah, that's a pretty good um, place
1: to start.
0: Yep. But start putting content out there, yeah. but make it valuable. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of content people out there right now. I think that mm-hmm. are saying the same thing that five other people have mm-hmm. said. Mm-hmm. Um, so make it unique. Make it make make it uniquely yours. Um, it doesn't have to be video. Some people aren't comfortable in yeah. that. Maybe it's written word. Um, those types of things. But just start. Build your confidence up. Listen, when you get on national television in front of multiple millions of people um, and you're asked questions that you have no idea what the questions are, you have to have a level of confidence uh, going into that. That doesn't happen overnight. If that happened day one, I would have. You know, what done, what in my pants? And I would have, you wouldn't, we would not be having this conversation. You know, Amber today. Heard or something. That's like, it. Yeah, That's yeah. it, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it was one of those that I had to work towards that. How did I do that? Well, I was willing to go do those rotary meetings Yep. where there was two people in the audience. Mm-hmm. And you're going, why am I in Mesquite, Texas at a rotary meeting talking about employee benefits to two people that are probably in their late 80s?
1: Mm.
0: Because I need repetitions. Yep. Um, and it's the 10,000 hour methodology, right? You got to do it over and over and over again. And if you do, and you keep putting yourself out there, eventually something will come. And even if it doesn't, you've made yourself better and it's going to make you better at what you do. So start somewhere. If you really think you want to be on the news, start with a, there's a website called HARO, H-A-R-O, help a reporter out. <laughs> um, it's free to sign up for there's paid versions too, but you can, and I, I started doing that, right. I went to my local news market here in, in Dallas, Fort Worth. That's where I started. Um, uh, after I, you know, I, I, mine's a little bit more unique in that I kind of started at Fox, but I still recognize even after that first segment, I, I need to make sure that that foundation is there. So I, I went back to my local market and i got on Haro and I have, um, and I started reaching out to reporters, saying, "Hey, if you ever have a healthcare topic you need somebody to do, you know, mm-hmm. reach out to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, if or even if, if not, you know, help a reporter out. Sometimes means you may not end up on air, but you're giving them what they need, the content wise, to make sure that they're the experts. Yeah, because what you've got to find out." People in the news and in the media world, they're having to cover a lot of stuff, and they're not experts on any of it.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Uh, they need the experts behind them. So if you're willing to give, I love the book. Uh, I, I highly recommend you read it. It's called The Go-Giver. Bob Burr. Read
1: it. Brought it up a couple times yep. on the podcast. Fantastic, so, yeah, right? yeah. Give. Yeah.
0: You will get. Yeah. Um, and so those things, and there's a, there's a colleague of mine, uh, Paul Seegert, who would be a great guest, by the way, on, okay. on your show. Um, Paul's fantastic and he's former like intelligence officer that got into the insurance business. So, I mean, sold already. Yeah. yeah it, like, stories up. Yeah, And he's brilliant at this, but a couple of years ago I got with him I'm like, dude, you are really good at this. You need to be doing this on camera behind, you know, in front of the camera. And he goes, well, I don't even know where to start. I said, start on Haro. Well, guess what? Paul's on all the major networks now. He's filling the, the, the when I'm not doing healthcare anymore, because I'm doing business, now Paul's the go-to healthcare guy. There you go. So it all starts somewhere, but it was Paul's willingness to say, you know what, I'm going to try one mm-hmm. and, and do it. Call, do the radio, get up at, man, when I was doing Fox radio, I would take the graveyard shift at two in the morning. And let me tell you, I did some call-in shows at two in the morning. You're getting some interesting
1: people calling with healthcare questions at two in the morning. Yeah, I'd imagine. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, uh, but you got to be willing to do it. You got to be willing to put yeah. in the time. Yeah. Uh, you do that.
1: I'd be curious At the two in the morning shows, were you getting up before it or were you staying up for a
0: two? uh, Most of the time I was staying up. Okay. Um, Well, I say that a lot of times it's funny. I was looking on, you know, these iPhones, you have these, 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 uh, alarms you can set. I still have my Fox and friends first alarm on my phone. So Fox and friends first airs. I think it's at, 4 a.m. Central. Okay. We're here in Central Time, mm-hmm. meaning that when I would do Fox and Friends first, and you got to cut your teeth there. You want to get on Fox and Friends? You got to go to Fox and Friends first. First, um, meaning that they would send a car to pick me up at 1:30. To drive me an hour south to the studio in downtown Dallas mm. to do an airing at 4, but I would have to be in the seat by 3.30, <sighs> meaning that if I had to prepare, because, again, I don't know what they're going to ask me, so I kind of have to have this broad array of knowledge on a lot of different things that might—obviously, they're going to ask me something that's relevant to the day. The news medium mm. is not talking about just random things. Right. Uh, that's the benefit of TV over radio, uh, is you can probably look at the headlines and go, this is probably what they're going to be asking me about. Um, but you know, it, it became, it, 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 you, you get up early, you know. <laughs> Lots of coffee, uh, right? You, yeah, yeah. yeah, oh my gosh. Well,
1: yeah. so I know you're a guy that doesn't stop. We'll get you out on your way here in a couple minutes, but um, there's surely, you, you've got a vision of kind of where this is going to go, right? Or what's next, perhaps, in the iteration of the media world. So what do you, if, what if you can share, right? I know there may be some things in the works you can't, but what is the evolution of like this look like over the next couple of years, you think, for you?
0: You know, for me, I think it's continuing to build what we're doing at GDP and within AccraSure. I think, I, I believe in the message of what AccraSure is doing, which is bringing Bringing, um, you know, the, the best in artificial intelligence with human intelligence to a, to a world that needs to be approached differently. And that's this this insurance risk world that we're mm-hmm. in, um, utilizing technology to do that. I, I hope that I get to play a, a key role in, in casting that vision and and even executing it in some ways. Um, from a media perspective, I will continue to do the media as long as I continue to call. And as long as I continue to think that that will help support What I am ultimately trying to do within GDP and AccraShare. awesome. Um, And as long as it's continuing to do that, I'll just keep doing it. Um, And you know, I try not to. I try not to get too far ahead of my skis on what the future holds, because I fear uh, God's laughter, which is when you tell Him what your plans are. Yeah. Um, And so, but what I, I know I can control is today. So that's what
1: I try to focus on. Well, so closing thoughts, Seth. I appreciate it. We probably eclipsed an hour. I to see Nathan checking the cameras over here. So closing thoughts, man. Why don't you land the plane here for the show?
0: Man, I, I got to tell you, he, here's the reality. I tell my kids this all the time. Um, no one can be good at everything, but everybody can be great at something. Um, find what you're great at. Mm-hmm. Find what you're great at. And, and you know what? It's okay if that doesn't mean you're an entrepreneur. Um, you can be great at something do it, find relevance in it, find passion about it. Um, and share that with the world. Don't chase the money, let the money chase you. Um, but find what you're great at and do it. That would be what my encouragement to be to anybody.
1: Beautiful. Well, let's stop it there, man. Seth, I really appreciate you. Always good to see you, man. man. And then maybe hopefully it won't be another year before we have you on the couch. All right. Sounds good, man. See ya. captive believes in healthcare that is personal and insurance that isn't complicated. Check them out at truecaptive.com.